0: You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Life Church! Oh, it's good to be back. I was out of town last week. Uh, and it is great to be home, great to be back in town. I've missed you all quite dearly. And uh, if we haven't met yet, my name's Alex. I'm the lead pastor here at Life Church Livonia. And if this is your first time, man, I just want you to know we are glad you're here. We believe God has brought you here on purpose. Whether it's your first time or it's your 500th, we believe that God brought you here today to speak to you through his word so that you and I may leave changed today we are picking up in our series Jesus is with week six out of eight we've only got two more after this and today we are talking about Jesus's statement I am the way the truth and the life now I don't normally start with our scripture right away but hey today that's what we're gonna do okay so would you read this with me please yes you sitting on the couch I see you read along okay here we go it starts in John 14 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I have told you, that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, a couple years ago, my parents lived in Chicago uh, for three years. And while they lived in Chicago, we did Christmas at their place, which was mostly cool, except we would do this Christmas Eve service at Life Church Livonia every year. It's a really great service. And then Amber's family celebrates their family Christmas also on Christmas Eve. So. That two days was kind of hectic for me, right? Like I'd go to Christmas Eve service, I'd be done by eight, we'd head to Amber's family Christmas, and then I'd be done by midnight or one, we'd get a little bit of sleep, and then we'd hop in the car Christmas morning and try to make it to Chicago before lunch. So it was a little hectic. In year one, we'd had this kind of series of years where there wasn't much snow, but the first year my parents moved to Chicago, year one, There'd been a big snowfall the night before, and by the time we left, the roads were not really plowed. It's Christmas morning, right? And I thought, man, this really stinks. We almost got hit by somebody who just like blew through a red light. And I thought, dang, can't get much worse than this in terms of driving conditions, huh? And then year two rolled around. (laughs) And year two, not only were the roads slick, but it was actively snowing while we drove. And it just was—it increased our time by like an hour, you know? And I was like, dang, it cannot get much worse than this in terms of driving conditions. And then year three, (laughs) we drove to Chicago on Christmas morning in a white out blizzard. I could literally not see 15 feet to the left of me, to the right of me, to the front of me, to the back of me. Oh my gosh, you know, the highway, I don't know if you guys know this, who drivers out there, it curves, right? That's normal. Well, you literally couldn't tell the road from the ditch and so the only way we were able to tell what was the road and what was the ditch, where as we got close to the ditch, we'd see car tracks just veering off. And we go, oh, that's not the way. And finally we found a guy who was like 30 feet in front of us, we couldn't even see the back of his car. All we could see were the two red taillights in the distance. And then, uh, small confession time. You know when you neglect changing your windshield wipers for too long and then they just like start streaking? Well, we found ourselves in that situation in the middle of the sweat out blizzard, and then they froze. And so every time I was trying to get the snow off of the windshield, it just was streaking muddy snow across the windshield. And it took us an hour and a half to get from our house to Chelsea. Chelsea's 30 minutes from here. And when we got to Chelsea, we were so exhausted, so anxious, so tired, We just called my parents and I said, listen, this, I literally can't see 30 feet in front of me. We're coming tomorrow. Merry Christmas. (laughs) we, We drove back home and to get from Chelsea back to our house was a three hour round trip on Christmas morning. And the whole time I just kept thinking, I hate this. I just wish we were home. I hate this. I just wish we were home. I hate this. I just wish we were home. And I think the last two years have felt a lot like that car trip. Right? The lack of safety, this lack of clarity, this lack of direction, this constant feeling of being set on edge, the anxiety. I mean, we, we just keep bracing ourselves for more like, oh, I hope this is the road and not the ditch, you know? And uh, I think we've all found ourselves exhausted just going, man, I hate this. I just wish I was home. I just, I hate this. I just wish I was home. You know, we are longing for that security and sense that life is like normal again and things are okay, but just thing after thing keeps happening, right? Right now we're holding our breath in fear of this possible recession. I don't know about you guys, but I am really grieving these two shootings at this elementary school in Texas and then the grocery store, the racially motivated hate crime in Buffalo, New York. And if you're a person of color listening today, I just want to say you are human. That is so evil and wrong, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is just the state of the country and this keeps happening, it is just evil. And I I feel so tired of grieving these things. I feel so worn out from COVID-19, navigating new variants and new regulations and feeling angry and exhausted at the internal and international unrest that continues to mount as uh, Russia and Ukraine continue to war through Russia's invasion. And as I've talked to each of you, there's just just this general sense of weariness, right? There's just this general sense of, man, I am tired of being set on edge, and I just want things to stabilize. I think we feel like we're driving through that storm and going, I just wish I was home. I just wish I was home. And I think that's how the disciples feel in this passage we just read, too. Um, Things were going really great. I mean, they'd giving up everything to follow Jesus, and now they're following him, and miracles are happening, and the world around them is changing, and hope is rising. I mean, just a couple days ago, they came into Jerusalem, and the people held this huge parade for Jesus, recognizing him as the Messiah. And I mean, I, I think the disciples probably just felt elated, like, oh my gosh, all this work, it's finally coming together. But at the time of this passage, now it's Thursday, And Jesus is having the Passover meal with his disciples. And he's saying things like, hey, listen, I'm not going to be with you much longer. Um, I'm going somewhere and you can't follow me. And he tells them he's going to die. And I can just imagine, like, what does he mean he's (laughs) going to die? Like, doesn't he know we left our jobs for him? Like, doesn't he know that we disappointed our families for him? Like, doesn't he know that we publicly positioned ourselves against the powers that be to bet it all on him? Like what does he mean he's going? And then Jesus starts telling them, and the part of the reason I'm going is one of you guys is going to betray me to the people who have been after me. Can you imagine like the fear and shock running through that room? As one by one people go, it's not me, is it? And then all of a sudden Judas gets up and leaves. And Peter says, Lord, I'm, I am not going to betray you, okay? I am ride or die. It's you and me all the way. And Jesus says, yeah, but it's not. You're, ac- you're going to deny me, actually. And um, you're going to abandon me, too. Can you imagine this instability and this fear and the confusion as the foundation that they have bet their lives on in Jesus feels like it's beginning to crumble in this dinner? And it's in this space of great confusion as the world around them is beginning to rapidly change and all of their expectations are beginning to be shown for wishful thinking. It's in this place that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. This is Jesus' final conversation with them before he dies and rises again. And he is trying to prepare them for this confusing next that is about to come. In a few hours, it's going to seem like they have lost everything. Jesus is going to die, and everything they considered normal is about to radically change. That's where the disciples find themselves at the beginning of this scripture. And I think that many of us find ourselves in a similar place. And I believe that Jesus' words to the disciples this morning are also his words for you and for me. Which is why he begins in John 14, verse 1 with, Do not let your hearts be troubled. And I just want you to take a deep breath with me as we receive that for us today. That Jesus is saying that for you today. (sighs) Do not let your hearts be troubled. That is God's word to you this morning. He goes on to explain why. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, this part here is really the core of this passage. The Greek word that Jesus Uh, said that we translate as rooms is only used two times in the whole New Testament. The other time it's used is to describe God's home, God's dwelling place. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to prepare this dwelling place for you, these rooms for you, and I'm going to send my spirit to get you ready to come to those places, that place that you might call home. And so at the heartbeat of this passage, everything Jesus says about being the way, the truth, and the life, is really coming, flowing out of this promise. Listen, I am going to prepare the place where you belong, and I'm coming back for you. And Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, just, I can almost imagine Thomas like interrupting him, you know, you guys know where I'm going. No, we don't. Uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Uh, so how can we know the way? <laughs> I can just I feel kind of bad for Thomas poor guy like every time he talks in the Bible he's like he's challenging Jesus he's doubting Jesus he's unsure about Jesus I love the guy's honesty you know Jesus is all like you guys know the way and Thomas is like nope you speak in too many riddles how can I possibly know what you're talking about here can you please enlighten me circle back on that one and Thomas reminds me because some of you may feel like Thomas is followers of Jesus you're like Man, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I struggle to figure out what he's talking about, and every time I open my mouth, I feel like I'm challenging him, or I'm doubting him. And Thomas just often confronts a false perception I have of myself. He reminds me um, that I I often would, I have thought to myself so many times, if Jesus were just here in the flesh, I wouldn't panic, I wouldn't doubt, I wouldn't be confused, I wouldn't be afraid. But man, uh, the Bible just says that's totally not true. That <laughs> Jesus, God is in the flesh with the disciples. And Thomas is like, the I, I don't get it. So Thomas is anxious. He doesn't know this way to the place where he belongs. The place where Jesus is going. And Jesus' response to him is, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father but through me. What Jesus wants us and his disciples to know this morning is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so my goal this morning is to take each of those one by one and help us understand what Jesus means when he says each of those statements. Because I want you to know what he, what he means when he says he's the way. I want you to know what he means when he says he's the truth. I want you to know what he means when he says he's the life. And so from here on out, rather than being kind of this one main point that flows through the whole sermon, I'm going to really break it down, camping on each of these for a little bit of time so that we can come back together after spending a little bit of time on each of them and really begin to understand the full picture of what Jesus is talking about. So here's our roadmap. First, I want to talk about the life. And then I want to talk about the truth, and then I want to end with the way. And the reason being is, I think there's a reason Jesus said them in that order, and for me anyway, it was just helpful to kind of take it in reverse to understand what Jesus is leading up to as he says it. So first we're going to begin with, what does Jesus mean when he says he is the life? So the first thing that immediately came to mind is, well, Jesus is our eternal life. Jesus means that he's our eternal life. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And John 3.16, one of the most famous passages in all of the New Testament says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Many of us are familiar with these ideas. Scripture teaches us that every human person has a sinful nature. And that sinful nature was invited into the human experience in the Garden of Eden. And that sinful nature is the source of every brokenness, every malady, and every evil that we see in the world. And the natural conclusion of this sin is death. Sin is anti-God and therefore anti-life. And when I say anti... I don't just mean against, okay? When I say sin is anti-God, I mean sin is without God. Just like darkness is not a presence of something, it's the absence of light. Or how cold isn't the presence of an element, it's the absence of heat, right? Just like death isn't the presence of death, it's the absence of light, sin is the absence of God. And so when Jesus takes all sin upon himself on the cross and he receives the natural conclusion of that sin, which is death, it only makes sense that he would rise from the dead because no amount of darkness can overwhelm even a single light because the darkness is just where the light isn't. And so it only makes sense that when all sin and death are placed on Jesus, all of a sudden that sin gets filled with God and that death gets filled with life because that's who Jesus is when he says that he is the life. And when he rises from the dead, he offers us eternal life. Secondly, we talked about this multiple times already, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. Jesus is our fulfilling life. And if you want to hear more on this, we preached on this, and I'm the bread of life and I'm the door but John 10.10 10 reminds us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. So when Jesus says, I'm the life, he means, I am your eternal life. I am your fulfilling life. And then finally, he shows us in the beginning of the book of John that he is the source of all life on the planet. John 1.1-5 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The Greek word for word there, kind of ironic, right? The Greek word for word, though, is logos which is one of the names of Jesus, that Jesus is the word of God. And we see in Genesis 1 that God speaks all of creation into existence. And what John 1 is telling us is that the words God spoke to create the world were through Jesus, that Jesus is that word that created everything, that created everything. And so here's what I want you to know. Jesus is our eternal life, Jesus is our fulfilling life, and Jesus is the source of all life. Jesus is our eternal life, he's our fulfilling life, and he's the source of life. Type that back to me in the comments, because when he says, I'm the life, this is what he's talking about. He is life in all of its fullness and meaning. Okay, so now we're moving on to truth. When Jesus says, um, he is the truth, what does he mean? What does he mean when he says that he is the truth? Well, in the same chapter of John, a couple little verses later, Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. One of the things I love about this verse is it's saying that just like you have a spirit and just like I have a spirit, truth itself has a spirit, has an essence. And the essence of truth, the spirit of truth, is in fact the spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ, is the source and essence of all truth. There's a beautiful Christian saying I love that says all truth is God's truth. Because truth is simply what's accurate about reality, right? A lie is something that's inaccurate about reality. Truth is what's accurate about reality. And because God's the author of all reality, he is the source of all the things about reality that are actual, that are real, that are true. And so one of the things I love about that idea that all truth is God's truth, it means whenever I find truth in science, in other religions, in the natural world, wherever I may find truth, all of that emanates from God. It all belongs to him. Every single culture, every single religion, every single philosophy has emphases on different nuggets of truth. But when Jesus says he is the truth, he means that all those truths find both their source and fullness in him, not in the places where they are simply reflected as a mirror reflects a light. So... Uh, At the beginning of this series, I said that all religions have to answer two questions. All religions have to answer the question, what do we do about the problem of evil and what's ultimately real? Now, a lot of people get hung up here on Jesus being the truth because they'll say things like, well, there's so much overlap in all these world religions. I mean, most religions have some form of devotional practice, most have some kind of corporate gathering, most wanna do good in the world, most have similar creation narratives. Every religion offers some kind of salvation or release or renewal to the human experience. And I want to say that's true, but similarities in those things does not equal sameness. And we see that evidenced most greatly when we look at different religions' answers to these two questions of what's real and what do we do about the problem of evil. And so I just want to go through a couple here just so we can begin to see how Jesus' claims to these questions of truth actually are quite different than other religions' answers. So in Hinduism and Buddhism, what's ultimately real is that human beings are trapped in a cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. And each new life we experience is a just reward for the previous life that we lived. Both of these religions would say there's no personal God. God is everything and he's nothing at the same time. Jesus is inconsequential in that formula. You can add or subtract Jesus, and you're still caught up in birth, death, and rebirth. The point of these things is is to attain enlightenment. And enlightenment comes through surrendering all of my having, all of my doing, and then ultimately all of my being. You see, both of these religions would say evil comes from this false sense of self. They would say there really is no you. There is a universal one. And your attempt to become this individual you and separate from this universal oneness is really the source of all suffering and evil in the world. And when you surrender those things, you attain enlightenment, and the cycle of rebirth is broken. Islam has different answers to those questions. Islam says that what's ultimately real is that Allah is the God of all things. Jesus was a prophet, a prophet of Allah, who was not actually crucified, because real prophets of Allah don't get executed. Instead, he was switched by a lookalike with angels at the last minute, and that lookalike was crucified instead. But the prophet Muhammad actually supersedes Abraham and Moses and Jesus as God's final authority and revelation. They would say that Allah causes all things to happen, even good and evil things. But at the um, end of life, Human beings will be judged by their willingness to choose these good and evil things, even though Allah makes them all happen anyway. Um, And that human beings will be judged by their good or bad deeds. And then sent to heaven or hell. And that no one has any way of knowing until that day of judgment whether or not they were good enough in this life. Atheism says that what's ultimately real is the physical universe is the only thing that exists. Once you die, you're dead. (laughs) And the survival of the fittest wins the day. Altruism, which is helping people, um, can be biologically useful for survival, but it's not necessary. And then because of this, good and bad become pretty subjective and relative, and they would say there's no real universal standard of good and evil. Uh, And so there's no really real problem of evil, there's just survival of the fittest. Uh, You live, and then you die, and good luck. (laughs) That's the atheist worldview on these questions. The modern American would answer these questions, by saying, what is ultimately true is what I feel, that I am the source of my own identity. And if I follow my way, I will find truth and that will give me life. And where I lack the life I want, uh, it's usually an evidence of society or the people around me not allowing me to live my way and experience my truth. Fullness of life would come from self-discovery Uh, where i figure out who i really am on the inside and then i live that truth with as much acceptance uh, as possible from others and as little resistance as possible Uh, the problem of evil can really be explained primarily through a lack of acceptance uh, both interpersonally and systemically on a social level and that um, these things are primarily constructed in that a salvation, a better human experience, would come by rewriting society's rules. And by doing that, we can really eliminate most human suffering. Jesus' answers to these questions are, are very different. He says what's ultimately real is that there is a sovereign and personal God of the universe who created all things, and that he created men and women in his image. And because of that, they are incredibly valuable, inherently The first human beings, Adam and Eve, uh, were tempted by the devil and they sinned and they invited the experience of sin and death into the human experience and that this is the source of every evil and brokenness in the world. We are totally as human beings unable to remove this sinful nature from ourselves and we need a savior to do it for us. Jesus is that savior. God himself came down to incarnate the human experience to live a sinless life, and then to put sin to death with him on the cross. When we believe that he died uh, on the cross for the sins of all past, present, and future, and that he rose from the dead and conquered death, he offers salvation to us in this life and the next. The Bible says there will be a day of judgment where those who have received God's forgiveness will enter paradise with him, and those who reject God's forgiveness will experience what Scripture calls the second death. I know that was a lot of information. Come on, give yourself some snaps, okay? That was a ton to take in. That was a ton to take in. My point in sharing those things with you is twofold. Obviously, this is a Christian church, so we talk primarily about our own worldview and religion. And I just wanted to take a couple minutes, four minutes here, to help you see how other religions answer these questions. And then to see what Jesus means when he says he's the truth. Because what Jesus means when he says he's the truth is not just that he's the source of all truth, but that his answers to life's questions are the true ones, are what's ultimately and actually real. So Jesus is the source of truth and his answers to life's questions are what's true. So we've talked about the truth, we've talked about the life, now let's end with the way. What does Jesus mean when he says he's the way? All right, how many of you guys have seen the show The Mandalorian? All right, yes, oh my gosh. I immediately loved this show. Book of Boba Fett was good too, okay? But Mandalorian was better. Book of Boba Fett got great when the Mandalorian came back into it, spoiler alert, okay? Oh my gosh, I loved that show. And part of why I love that show is every time the Mandalorian has to make a sacrifice or a hard decision or a choice of conviction, he says, this is the way. This is the way. Now I immediately gravitated toward that. But not just because of the conviction of it, but because the early church was called the way. The early church, before we were called Christians, was called the way of Jesus. And, you know, Christians made a lot of sacrifices in the early days. Things like uh, Romans would um, crucify them or they would uh, put them in the Colosseum for sport. And then the Christians would be caring for their Roman oppressors even as they died. And they would be like, what are you doing? This is crazy. And the, the Christians wouldn't say this is the way, but they would say, we follow the way. That's why we're doing this. We follow the way. God loves you even though you're, you're wounding me, because we follow the way. And um, this is why that passage about rooms is so crucial, because when we think of the way, which means road or path, you got to ask yourself, the way to what? Right? The way to what? And, and Jesus, starting with that passage about the rooms, is he saying that he is the way to the place where we belong. He is our guide through the storm to the place that we were made for and that no one comes back home to the Father without following Jesus as the way. And before, you know, we get too lost in this, the way is not a checklist. This is where the Pharisees went wrong right? They lost the who inside of the how. Because Jesus uh, did not just give us a checklist of things to do. He gave us the Holy Spirit who is our living, active, dynamic guide, right? So rather than following um, directions on a map per se as the way, it would be like going to a new city and you go, hey man, I'm really trying to find the Museum of Natural History. Can you please show me? And somebody says, oh yeah, don't worry about it. Don't even need to mark it on your map. Just follow me and I'll take you there. As you follow that person, that person becomes your way to the place where you're going. And Jesus says that he is the way. And he's not just the way to the place where we belong. He is the way to truth. And he is the way to life. And when we live in that way, not only are we uh, on our way back to home to the place where we belong, but we are inviting home here. We are inviting heaven to earth when we live in the way of Jesus. And it is the call of the Christian life to live in this way of Jesus. Because that is what brings us home. So when we are in a conflict and emotions are high and it feels like so much is on the line, we follow the way of Jesus. When we're trying to have a hard conversation and confront brokenness or sin, we follow the way of Jesus. When we're avoiding a hard conversation or trying to hide from it maybe, we have to turn and follow the way of Jesus. When it comes to marriage and sex and romance and love, we follow the way of Jesus. When we're making decisions about what to watch or what to buy or how to spend our time, we follow the way of Jesus. When we're trying to parent better than our parents, parented us, and we don't know how, we follow the way of Jesus, because this leads us to truth, and this leads us to life. When Anna and Derek Brown have opened their home to their relatives who have fallen on hard times, this is the way. When Nan Walter writes a play for her kids, many of whom are first-generation Americans, so that they can encounter biblical truths in their own stories, this is the way. When Ron Royer and the Anglers show up to help Debbie move into her new place, putting her needs and interests above their own, this is the way. When Life Kids teachers choose discipling children over receiving discipleship in this service, this is the way. When we act, interact with every hurt, every hang-up, every hiccup, and, and every highlight in this dynamic, complex, difficult world, we always seek to follow the way of Jesus because that is the way home. That is the way to the place where we belong. And that's the way to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so here's what I want you to know. Jesus' way of life is the way to life. Jesus' way of life is the way to life. So we've taken a look at what Jesus means by he is the life. And what he means by he is the truth, right? He's our eternal life, he's our fulfilling life, and he's the source of life. By the truth, he means that he is the source of all true things and that his answers to life's deepest questions are the true answers. And when he says he is the way, he means that by following him, by walking in step with the Holy Spirit, not a kind of spirituality that fills up on God in the morning and then goes out and does my day and then comes back empty, but a spirituality that says, Lord, I'm walking with you today. Wherever you lead, I will go. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. That when we walk in this way, It is here that we find truth. It is here that we find life. And it is here that we find the place where we belong. So when you hear Jesus's words this morning, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Which of those do you feel you're firm in? And which of those do you feel maybe you're struggling or contending with right now? Because I believe God's heart for you this morning is to believe in the truth of Jesus to live in the way of Jesus and to experience life in Christ. And so wherever you're at this morning, I think some of us are contending with Jesus being the truth. And we feel like, well, who is he to say that? And who am I to choose that? And what about this? And what about that? Some of us believe in the truth of Jesus, but we're struggling to live in the way. We kind of do half things his way and half things our way. And some of us are really trying. Man, we, we are laying it down. And if that's you this morning, God may have just brought you here this morning to send you to one more. Right? Maybe it's to the waitress who you're going to interact with at lunch today. Maybe it's to your neighbor who's been difficult. Maybe it's to a friend or a family member. Maybe it's to your spouse or your kids. But God wants to remind you of these things and send you into the world to be that way, to bring heaven to earth in these places as you live in the way of Jesus. So wherever you find yourself this morning in those different places, I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. Because one thing is certain. Our world is broken. It's broken bad. Real bad. And we need to find the way home. We are stuck in the storm, and we need to find the way home. And Jesus is the way. And I just want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Father, for those of us who are struggling to believe that you are the truth, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the barrier in our hearts that is keeping us from believing that truth. I pray that you would just highlight it by your Holy Spirit now. And Lord, I pray that you would shine your truth upon it. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts to what is true. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to pray with me, God, I just recognize that you are the truth. That you died for my sins and rose again and that when I surrender to you as Lord and receive your gift of forgiveness for my sin, Lord, that I find life and life to the full. Father, for those of us who are struggling to live in your way, who are waffling back and forth, Lord, I pray that you would just show us the need that we are trying to meet by going our own way, or the series of needs in our own heart. And Lord, I pray you just whisper to us by your Spirit that you meet every need, inside of us, Lord, that you are what we're looking for. And Father, I just pray that we'd repent right now. So Lord, we repent. We just are sorry for the ways in which we choose our own way over your way. And Lord, I just pray that you would satisfy us in our deepest places, that we might find life in you. And Father, for those of us who are doing our best, and we are really trying to live this thing, Lord, I pray you'd reveal to us, put on our heart right now, who is the one, who is the person in our circle of influence today? We can't do everything for everybody, but we can do something for somebody. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us who that person is. Put that person on our heart. And Lord, show us what it means to live in your way to that person today. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you just prayed with me, I want to invite you, please, please fill out our digital bulletin or or drop us a comment in the comment sections. You are not alone. We are walking this as the family of Jesus, and we want to walk with you today. We will see you next weekend. God bless.